The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. This is a live show. I am so happy to be talking to you live. It's been quite a while. I'll talk about a little uh, talk more about that later. But in the meantime, welcome. Welcome to the Visual Workplace, our weekly radio show where we explore and celebrate the principles and practices, concepts and tools, methods and strategies, and the people and results of workplace visuality, of letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system, our intelligence, into the living landscape of work through visual devices. Through visual devices, those devices hold the components of our operational intelligence, and we embed them. Why? So we can reap the huge benefits of doing so, and we can enjoy ourselves along the way. Enjoy ourselves both at work, because of work, and in work, and working, but also enjoy ourselves as we recreate the workplace. Because the visual workplace is a physical transformation, we see the results immediately. And what we have to keep doing is combing through and putting in those layers of physicality that we call visual devices so that the workplace speaks in a voice that is clearer, more concrete, more practical, more relevant with each cycle, with each iteration. We keep going. We make those devices capture the fine points of our intelligence until they become us. They become an extension of us. We are embedded in the process through our intelligence. Oh, wonderful. Visuality is a language. It is the language of excellence. Whatever your level is at, that you can capture, put into place, and use it as a platform. A workplace that speaks. So, (laughs) I'm back from China. (laughs) I've been away for nearly three months of travel with seminars and learning and discovery and visiting lots and lots of factories and uh, doing assessments, yes, and having conversations and changes that have been important, important to me and important to the people who have asked me to participate with them. And it's been really, really wonderful. I am tired in a kind of deep and complete way, but I also have loved every moment of it, every moment of it. And I've been very, very happy. I, you know, when I'm home, when I'm in the office, my home office, 
I'm working on books. I'm working on the business. I'm working on finding new ways to reach out and find you so that you can learn about visuality and you can start applying it because it really is a transformational answer. But when I'm traveling, I'm in my research mode and my discovery mode and I'm learning so much. I, I cannot count any longer the number of photographs I have of airport terminals, of airport runways, of the first um, 25 seconds in the air when I get a really, really good shot of the runway, but airborne, of uh, airports all over the world while we taxi, while I'm waiting to get on a plane. So that's always happening. It's kind of like my travelogue. But in addition, uh, traveling itself kind of loosens the boundaries of our thinking. Have you noticed that? And allows us to change in ways that are important. And for me, it's all research. And that research feeds my understanding and also simply my experience in my life and my enjoyment of my life. So I'm I'm really, really happy to be back. I'm going to bring you the news. And uh, I wanted to just say a few things about what's coming up next. I want to wait until mid-September to continue our visual workplace leadership series, our visual leadership series. And at that time, we'll pick up the executive side of the equation after a short summary of our discussion. It was about a four-month discussion from about February through the beginning of May on leadership for managers and supervisors and the tools that support that. So I want to move to the other side of the equation, which for me is equally as interesting, and um, do a series there. If you're an executive, if you're a plant manager, if you are a CI director, if you have um, kind of ranking responsibilities, you may find these shows interesting. They will first begin with a definition of the executive uh, leadership role, as at least as seen in my visual paradigm and then move to a series of very concrete tools there are five of them and those tools I believe uh, you will find useful some of you are already using them and effectively so this will add to your understanding and for those of you for whom this is new you will um, I, I think understand a great deal more about how leadership and structure work together and how there's real freedom in that. When you begin to structure the leadership, you can then be extremely fluid within those boundaries. That's what I've discovered. So we'll, we will get back to that. And between then and now, we'll do a series of shows on various topics. It is the summer, and uh, we will. I'll just put together, I'm organizing some things in my mind and on the notepad with my executive producer, Sandra Rogers. Thank you, Sandra. So today I want to share yank, uh, some uh, chunks from nearly three weeks that I spent uh, in China and uh, say to begin with, uh, you know what, I have to make a small, uh, a small, couple of small announcements, beg your pardon. My Smart Simple Design book, the Reloaded, Smart Simple Design Reloaded, should be out in the middle of August. We're having a little bit of um, uh, discussion that's longer than I expected on exactly what the lover, the cover should look like. Uh, and um, because I'm very um, drawn to things of beauty and things of balance and harmony, uh, I have put a hold on it for uh, it's going to take us another week or so because I came back. The other thing is we are doing a training of trainers for work that makes sense in August. However, that is filled 
and uh, we may do another one in the fall. We'll see how things kind of um, fall into place, but we're very much looking forward to that. So those are my announcements. I've done my job. It's really good to be back. So today I want to share some of the learnings that I've had in my nearly three weeks in China. And I'll begin by saying it was, without hesitation, a most memorable, even mind-boggling stay. China has completely redefined the concept of economic infrastructure and on a scale that can hardly fit on the planet. I had heard about it. There was so much advanced discussion before the Olympics about what it was, but being there makes you understand that something extraordinary has happened in the last 20 years. I am not an economist. I cannot tell you conceptually uh, what are the principles that have been put into place or the premises that uh, China has contradicted contradicted or just um, knocked out of the ballpark. But it is a change, a transformation on an extraordinary scale. So this was my first trip. I have no actual point of personal comparison. But from what I was able to see with my own eyes, it is a new economy. And the way that I know that the best is with my own eyes because I saw miles upon miles upon miles of infrastructure, of infrastructure, of roads and highways, of buildings, and of skyscrapers beyond my beyond the horizon, beyond counting, in a 360 uh, arc. If you turn around 360 in the middle of Shanghai, which was my main base, you see skyscrapers. They're in your way, and when they move out of the way, you see more skyscrapers. I've never even imagined anything like it. If it were a science fiction drawing, you would say the artist overdid it because no population... There, there couldn't be that a population and that many buildings at the same time that were not for habitation. That is not to say there were not skyscrapers or at least very, very tall buildings that were used for habitation, but these were business sites and they were everywhere. And the architecture itself, the design itself was beautiful, beautifully designed buildings, be- intentionally beautifully designed buildings. So the aesthetic was there. And the ascetic, for the most part, was uh, an embrace of what we think of beauty is in the West. Mm? It doesn't take a civil engineer to get what I saw. The growth has happened in the past 20 years, and it has been like a rush to the 21st century. And it is a growth that happened by decision. This has not been an organic growth. This is another thing that just blows my mind. It's now you see it, now you don't. Or rather, now you don't see it, and wait a minute, now you do. The growth of the China economy has been by decision, by the declaration of the government, and wham, it happened. It happened. We will move into the 21st century. We will be a player. We will be dominant. We will not shrink from the resolve to fit a China-sized economic footprint onto the globe. And we will do this superbly well. Nor will we shrink from adopting the aesthetic of the modern economic growth and prosperity icons. We'll embrace it all. 
and more than that, we will prevail. It is, I have to be careful of what I say so that, because I'm on the radio speaking to so many of you, and I don't want to give you the impression that anything, that there is a, a prejudice or a, an emotional charge in what I'm describing for me. I am simply awestruck and I'm full of respect for what has happened because it has not only raised the Chinese people who were before, I don't know enough history to put it in the right words, but they certainly weren't middle class. They have raised the economy for, 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 almost, every stratum, for almost every stratum of the, of the uh, society. And I saw it. I'm so grateful. I was invited by Stephen Lee, who is uh, the head of Visual Workplace China. And he and my good colleague, his good colleague, David Chow, showed me around uh, and uh, organized the schedule and organized the public seminars and organized the site visits and the assessments and the discussions. And they were marvelous. And I got to see a China that was not exactly a tourist China. It was a working China. It was China at work. It was very, very awe-inspiring and um, for me in every way positive and beautiful. So we're going into a break now. I'd like to tell you some specific things <laughs> that went that went down while I was there, some things I learned and some of some things about the roadways. And I look forward to seeing you when I get back. Oh, no, no, when you get back in a minute. Oh, no, when I get back. I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> Thank you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Revez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 
1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Thank you. Okay. Hi, Kevin. Kevin is going off to a great adventure. He's going to um, go to Canada and start his own radio gig. And he is collecting whatever you want to send on fill the tank. I'll check during the next break. Fillthetank.com. It's a little collection site to support his trip. He's been our wonderful technical assistant now for, oh, I think, well over a year. And he's going to China. Oh, no, no, no. He's going to Canada. I beg your pardon. <laughs> he's going to some foreign place and starting a new adventure. I wish you well on that. So, welcome back. We are in our discussion about my trip to China, and I was um, sharing with you the incredible level of growth that is visible simply as you are watching, uh, looking out of your uh, skyscraper or looking out of your uh, car window, the incredible level of growth. I would... I would put it this way, thousands of skyscrapers. I'm sure that's an exaggeration, but it certainly felt like a forest of skyscrapers that were everywhere. I took a train from Shanghai, uh, about an hour and a half ride south to a place called Westlake or Hanzhou, where I had the pleasure of uh, spending just three days staring at some trees, which was wonderful, and a lake. And during that time, that hour and a half, I went through a completely built-up countryside all of it. And where there weren't office buildings, there were beautiful homes and very elaborate homes with uh, unusual Chinese-flavored homes that were uh, stunning and everywhere. So an interesting tidbit, as I was uh, in Shanghai, which is one of the top four cities in China, massive footprint, 20 million residents within its immediate boundaries, the city is flooded with, well, with everything. Skyscrapers, again, people, the infrastructure that makes an economy possible. And an interesting tidbit is that you need to have permission to, to drive in Shanghai. You can't live in a nearby city and simply drive to Shanghai, drive into that city. You need a permit. And if the police catch you without a permit, if you don't belong to that city, you get a ticket. You're not allowed to simply use the roads of a city for work or play or anything. You have to use public transportation if you don't have a particular kind of um, license plate. And, you know, given a moment of thought and a quick scan of the landscape, escape as a reminder, it's easy to understand why. There are just too many cars. So you're not a citizen. You use public transportation, not your car, and not... Uh, not anybody else's car that doesn't actually have a permit. So interesting, such an interesting way of controlling, such an interesting juxtaposition, combination of this free, almost riotous growth, this freedom to grow, and other uh, sets and a set of restrictions in order to control uh, that which is controllable. So I thought that was extremely interesting. And I tell you, I enjoyed myself tremendously just sitting in the front seat of the car. 
My Chinese colleagues, Stephen and David, kept trying to stuff me into the back of the car because that was the place of honor. But I wanted to sit up front. I did not want to drive, but I did want to sit up front where I had a panoramic view with my camera so I could see the roads and so I could see the visual devices in the roads. And they were everywhere. I couldn't get enough of them. I took probably 400 photographs of traffic and I'm sure I was going through them on my way back on the plane and a lot of them are almost the identical shot but taken on a different day. Arrows in the asphalt, Chinese pictograms in the surface of the roads. These are Chinese letters. They're pictograms in the surface of the roads telling you where to exit, where not to exit, slow down to pay attention, whatever built into the road and you know I know that I'm being very provincial by saying oh my gosh look at those Chinese letterings isn't that cute or isn't that amazing isn't that awesome but I am it was I was not ready to see the Chinese version of all of roads and highways that I know in English I was beside myself with happiness this Chinese lettering in the asphalt I couldn't get enough of it. To see these devices, which I know like the back of my hand in the United States, to see them in Chinese was just like, oh, wow, it was like a walk on Mars. Where am I? And how come this looks almost like home? So that was super. And also super were the traffic lights. First of all, the traffic lights were nearly three times the size of the ones we find in the U.S. and Europe. They're like two feet across. They're dominant, they're visible, they're in your face. There is a huge red circle in front of you when it's time to stop. You can't miss it. And this is another thing that I found so amazing. The sophistication of of understanding the psychology of the roadways. You have these super-duper traffic lights, but I rarely saw a traffic light that did not also have right on top of it or right beside it, a digital countdown for red and for green. It wasn't a countdown that was for pedestrians. It was a countdown that was in the road for drivers. Pedestrians could see it as well. But you could hear it. I mean, I had a similar experience in a place called Pune, India. It's just outside of, it's about two or three hours outside of uh, Bombay. I had a... similar experience a few years ago. On this memorable day, I was on a road that was 10, probably only eight, but it felt like 10 lanes wide. And on one side, you know, both sides were stopped for the, uh, for the traffic when the traffic light changed. And I was sitting there at the very, very front with my uh, great friend, uh, uh, Grover, of Vinod Grover, my wonderful, wonderful friend in Pune. And I'm sitting there and I see this line of traffic and I see the countdown. It was visible for me watching and it was visible for them on their side watching in the opposite direction. And you could hear vroom, vroom, vroom. Vroom. You could hear the traffic ready to lurch forward, to bound forward as soon as that number hit zero. Vroom, vroom. And I believe that's why they were there. And this lineup was 
of bikes and cows and go-karts and cars and fancy cars, Mercedes and BMWs and Fords and Chevys, mopeds, all lined up. And the countdown, I am convinced, was this visual countdown to give everyone fair warning of the instant at which their lives would now again be in stark danger. Get out of the way. The light is about to change. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Bingo. I, I don't even remember seeing a car race through a yellow. And I, I understood. You don't mess with the yellows because the green is right behind it. And if you get caught, if you go too slow, you know what? It may change your life. And it was that way in China. It was that way. They had the countdown on the red. But there, there was um, more of a uh, feeling of, of a groomed environment in China. But nevertheless, there was this dynamic, um, uh, almost a sense of chaotic um, moment of bursting. Throughout the whole city, it always felt like it was going to burst at any moment. Tremendous vitality, tremendous. And so the countdown lights gave us the opportunity to uh, be at ease because we had another 23 seconds. And these were long lights. They were 55 seconds, even a minute and a half. They were long lights. And you'd sit there and you'd just be at ease, be at ease until it got down to like six, five, four, three, two, one. And then everything kind of lit up again. I also saw a wonderful moment. The, the, they have wonderful um, markings in the road that allow the cars to follow their lanes as you turn a corner. And I've seen that in the United States with arrows. But in China, in several places, they actually extended the full um, boundary of each lane and closed it at the top so it was like an incomplete bridge but it was only paint coming forward so the cars would actually make the turn correctly in their own lanes and I, I tell you some people paid attention to them but other people did not and they just took any lane that was available any lane uh, it was stunning so the roads were a uh, uh, a source of endless fascination for me. The road signs were very, very specific. They were uh, full of information, very impressive signage that told you to go here, to go there. I almost understood it myself, but David and Steve read with uh, diligence because these visual indicators really contained vital information for us, which was getting to where we were going on time and safely, and it was a wow. And uh, towards the center of the city, there were also these placards, these lit placards over the highways, also near the airport, that mapped out in a linear fashion the roads ahead, a little placard that would be like a section of a map, and it would be lit, lit up. Red, green, amber, so you would know in advance if there was a traffic jam. And many times, uh, David or Steve would look up at this placard that was, uh, you know, pretty much at the line of sight for about 50 or 100 yards. They would get closer and they would make a decision based on what they saw and take the next exit, take an alternate route. So uh, even though there was a massive number of cars, uh, I think that what we see in, in China is uh, a just slightly more advanced 
application of visuality in the roadways because of their massive challenges. They have some really cool devices that I've never seen before. And I'm going to tell you about another one that I found. It was a dragon column when we come back from this, our next break. So we're going into our break, and I'll be here when you get back. See you in a, in a minute. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome back to the Visual Workplace. This is our third segment. Today, this show is live. And uh, it's really, really good to be back. I've been traveling for uh, almost three months. And uh, I'm back now for pretty much for the duration and um, I'm reporting on my wonderful stay in China. Other things have happened to me during the last three months, but this was a nugget that had a very definite shape and uh, impression on me. And just before we went into the break, I was describing my experience in the front seat of a car, going through this experience um, with my camera, taking pictures of the roadways in uh, both the highways and the roads and the byways and the back roads and whatever and uh, learning a lot about the intelligence the intelligence of China in setting up and using the roads as an essential part of their economic infrastructure was very very impressive and one of the most memorable roadway mementos for me was the dragon column near the center of Shanghai. So we're driving along. I'm snapping, 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 snapping photos of, of everything. And Stephen Lee, head of Visual Workplace China, and my sponsor and my business uh, affiliate, told me to stay alert. Something was coming up. And he pointed out to me a huge silvery column supporting the overhead roadway, the overhead highway. Huge. 
I saw it. It was beautiful. Embossed. But embossed with what? What is that? I asked Stephen. I said, what is that? What, what is that? What's that thing? That's not really a column. It's not made out of concrete. It's, it's beautiful. And what's that thing wrapped? What is that? Oh, my goodness. There's a dragon wrapped around the column. It was a hugely huge dragon embossed on the column kind of silvery with a little bit of a kind of gold edge to it. It was a work of art and it was right there in the middle of the of the of the underneath of the highway. I I, I didn't I didn't understand. So Stephen told me the story. About two decades ago, when the metropolis of Shanghai was laying out the infrastructure of the roads, the construction crew had reached a particular point of the construction and was trying to sink a supporting column, a pile, at this particular point, and they couldn't. They tried and they tried repeatedly, but the piling would not penetrate the ground. It was like it was hitting something hard and resistive. It just wouldn't give up. They couldn't make any progress. They tried and they tried. Something was stopping it for weeks. They had to stop the build, the continuation of that particular portion of the highway because they couldn't get which, uh, what was essentially a routine piling in place for weeks. And finally, the local Buddhist temple was approached, almost as a kind of lark, but I think really out of desperation. Well, you know what? We're going to try this kind of wild thing and see if some Buddhist monk can help us. Because nothing that we're using materially is making even a dent. The project was completely stalled. (laughs) And so what happened was they spoke to the monks and somehow or other persuaded them to uh, help. And they did help. And the, the monks in the temple said, yes, that is where the dragon is resting and you are trying to penetrate his spine And you cannot do that unless he gives you permission. So in order to gain permission, you have to do these things. They're called ablutions or rituals. You have to do these things. You have to make these offerings with a sincere and open heart. And then let's see what happens. And these construction workers and executives went through what looked like a ritual because they were blocked. And they had no choice. And because this is China. And the, they, they, when the ceremony was completed, they went to the spot. They said, let's give it a try. The piling went in instantly. Instantly. Whoa. Whoa. I'm just repeating a story which may have become a kind of urban legend or at least kind of embellished. But Stephen has lived in Shanghai and Beijing during this time for decades. And he told me this is what happened. I believe him. I don't understand it. I can't explain it more than what the words I'm using now with more than the words I'm using now. But the column is there. The column was built as a thank you to the dragon. Isn't that cool? Here we are in this metropolis of the future, skyscrapers everywhere, and in the middle of it is this homage to, the, to ancient China, to an understanding that has been there 
for eons. Well, you know, for thousands of years. This kind of deep and mysterious East China. I thought it was very, very beautiful. Very beautiful. And that was, that was uh, we used to pass it all the time. I kept trying to get better shots and better shots. Next time I go back, I'll actually become a pedestrian and try to walk over there and get a really, really good shot of the Dragon Column in Shanghai. So it was wonderful. I learned so much from the roadways. And I learned a great deal also from the factories that I visited. I'm going to be continuing work long distance with with a couple of them, uh, one on uh, visual leadership, which I'm thrilled at, and the other one is work that makes sense. And you know what? I, I met another 30 or 40 companies because of my public seminars. They would send representatives. So I got a kind of uh, view of what's going on. But as you can imagine, it was a tiny, tiny microscopic segment of what the entire China looks like. 1.35 billion people and growing and counting. So it was very, very interested. And I'd like to share with you some sweeping statements from the teeniest of samples in the vast nation of China. I want to kind of tell you some of the themes or the impressions that I have from the people who attended my seminars or invited me to their plants. First of all, people were genuinely interested. They were even studious in their uh, attention. They wanted to learn. And by the way, workplace visuality is a particular paradigm. It has some similarities with other paradigms of improvement, but it also has its own unique nature. And people were genuinely interested in making, finding that distinction. They were eager for new knowledge. The Chinese people whom I met were taken by the notion of visuality as a cost-saving operational improvement process, but also, and maybe even greater, as a means for uh, operator engagement. The notion of operator engagement is not exactly in place, but there is an awareness that it is needed. And it is not, the discussions that I have had with it, with with business leaders, is not that they're interested in employee involvement in order to increase their bottom line, but in order to, in a sense, complete the paradigm or the decision that was made 20 or 30 years ago to enter for China to move into the 21st century and become an economic partner to global development and to the development of its own society. So it's more of a societal um, theme to say our society would have better balance, would have better benefit, would have greater good if we could learn to include everyone at work in the, in the work and in the prosperity, in the development of our nation. It was very, very interesting and, and sincere. I was very pleased. In a way, I was not surprised because my own feeling was reflected in the words of these people, is that you can make a very strong business case for visuality, 15 to 30% increase in productivity, Yes, 15 for sure. 15 is a lot. Six is a lot. Three is a lot. That's how 
much microscopic information deficits there are in the workplace, tripping us up all the time. And that's how complete a fully functioning visual workplace is, far beyond simply the ideas. It is a woven text. It was a woven language of devices that covers the landscape of work and really changes the nature of work and the nature of the people who are there, the nature of us. So, so that was very striking. I-driven is at the heart of my methodologies. You've heard me speaking about I-driven, the importance of the I for years now. And I read that poem by uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins that's in the front of my visual thinking book many, many times. I'll open it up um, for the next segment. And it, it is about, there's a line in that that says, what I do is me for that I came. What I do is me for that I came. In this ornate explosion of color of the senses that uh, Hopkins paints for us in the first part of the poem, he ends it with, what I do is me for that I came. And as I read that, and as it was shared through the wonderful interpretation of Stephen Lee and David Chow, they did such an extraordinary job. I think that Stephen told me that he had read my books five times and David was in his first round or second round. But they had such a, a fine sensibility of what I intended. I could tell because when they began to speak their understanding from their heart, instead of just interpreting my words, believe me, they were not normal interpreters who simply repeat what I say. <laughs> they interpreted what I said, not translated it. Uh, I could tell that the folks who were listening were getting another level of understanding of what I driven is. And it was not a reach. It was a kind of cherished hope. It was it was not that people were saying, whoa, what do you mean? That doesn't sound like a good economic move or how does that fit into the bottom line? Nothing like that. It was more, ah, ah, maybe even, ah, uh, so, maybe even, ah, uh, so. I get it. I get it. I've heard, I was, had the privilege of sitting on the way back with a gentleman. His name is John. I'm don't have his last name at the tip of my tongue. His name is John. Uh, he uh, has been. He was on a sixty-second trip to China, and he's. He, we were talking about this uh, experience I had, and he said that the Communist Party is looking for a niche, a way to make a contribution that would be genuine and important, but within its value system, and um, that they had chosen employee engagement as that part that they could offer. And uh, wouldn't it be cool to uh, have them take a look at visuality as part of that because it is so powerful and it does this in a way that also benefits the, the bottom line. So China is ripe as far as I can see. China is ripe. The obedience mindset that I thought was going to be a barrier against easy progress, I'm beginning to think is not exactly there. And I want to say more about that in the last segment of our show. We're going into a break now because I know that there are people from China listening now, but I also know that there are Americans and non-Chinese people listening. And I want to kind of put my cast on 
what I think is happening in terms of the uh, paternalistic or obedience mindset of the Chinese workplace. So please come back in a moment. I'll be here. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. This is the final segment of our show today. It's on Visual China, colon, oh my gosh, explanation point, because it, it was so visually compelling, and because, in my view, there is such an opportunity for visuality to make a contribution I suspected that even before I got off the plane, of course. But that perspective or that impression, that knowledge was affirmed again and again. The fit between visuality and China is nearly perfect on almost every level in terms of the need, in terms of the level of excellence that the Chinese plants that I saw could attain through visuality in terms of the opportunity for employee involvement and engagement that is completely aligned with the bus- with business benefit. And you know, another thing is, the Chinese language is pictographic. It's made up, made up of pictograms, these little pictures that you see, these characters. They look like little houses. They look like running, running horses. They look like this. They look like that. You look at it and your imagination, if you don't know what the actual pictogram means you just make it up and it's like that Chinese is not really word dependent 
pictogram communication language is complex, it's varied, and because it is visual, it carries more meaning than words would. It is already halfway there in terms of evoking from us more meaning. So that was very interesting. And what I was saying just before the break about the obedience mindset, I thought, you know, it's going to be so hard to get this going. And I'd been in touch with several people who work in China who are American or European who have said, you know what, it is so hard to get people's hearts and minds, to get them even to care. And I was prepared to see that repeated. I was prepared to see evidence of that. But when I got there, what I saw was, yeah, China's at the beginning of its understanding of operational excellence. And there's nothing that I saw that didn't look like what I had seen already in the United States or Europe or Australia or anywhere. Management doesn't quite get it. They don't exactly know how to fit the uh, creativity of human beings into such a designed environment as we call the workplace. And operators uh, uh, don't appear to get it. They appear to be indifferent to the notion of contribution or I'm just here to make money. I'm just here to, um, I'm just here for the job and I'll leave this job anytime I want to a better job because I'm just here for the money. But that's, that's the way we were 25 years ago. We hadn't, we hadn't yet learned. It wasn't yet in the consciousness of the workplace, the consciousness of the improvement paradigm that these things, in fact, there was greater benefit and greater happiness for me personally and as um, an employee in getting more involved. So I don't see anything unusual and therefore, in, in, the, in China's current level of employee engagement, and I know there are many plants that have, uh, have mastered this. I just didn't have the opportunity of uh, visiting them. I saw plants that were struggling with, we want to do this, but how? Or does, is it real? Is this just an American phenomenon? I heard that a number of times. Oh, you know, that sounds very American. What's that got to do with us? No, it's not. It's about people, and it's about the pattern-seeking capacity need of the mind, the mind to make sense of its environment, and then to build on that again and again. We had several shows on that. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it more the next time, if I, if I want to take another round and if you want me to. But the appearances are deceptive. They're not the truth. And I can say with confidence for the companies that I visited that they will make this transition. It might take them a year, it might take them five, but it's, there are so many companies in the United States that haven't yet begun. If you go to visit them, they will look and feel and talk just like a Chinese plant. You know, surprising, but nevertheless, they're stuck in some way. They don't know yet. The potential is there, but it hasn't been noticed. There's no, I don't see any problem. I, I was very impressed and full of enthusiasm for what I saw and what I felt was going to happen next. For us, whoever you are out there and whoever is listening, whoever the us is, whether you're in Europe or the United States or South America, Australia, India, or China, what is coming next? I'm very excited about. 
I'm ha- I'm excited about it for myself personally, and in this case for China. Oh, wonderful! Oh, wonderful! So I think that we can be confident in the paradigms and the concepts, the principles and practices that we are in the midst of developing, for example, here in the United States, confident that the Chinese will find them beneficial as well. The obedience model is simply a a temporary stop. Sometimes it lasts several hundred years, but it eventually shifts over to something that's more complete. Oh, I wanted to. Do I have my book right here? I hope, I hope. Ah, I hope this is the right book. I wanted to read that poem. And by the way, while I'm opening the book, yes, this is at the front of my blue book, uh, Visual Thinking. I wanted to give another shout out for Kevin, who's leaving in a week for Canada. And if you want to make a small contribution or a big contribution to his journey, his website is fillmytank.org, not .com, but .org. I think that name is just so beautiful. Fillmytank.org. And part of his contribution, uh, of your contribution, will go to veterans because Kevin is very committed to um, their journey as well. Fillmytank.org. Thank you, Kevin. I wish you such a great journey. So let me read you this poem that for some reason, reasons I can certainly understand, captured the imagination and the hearts of the Chinese people that I had the pleasure of coming to know when I was there. It's called As Kingfishers Catch Fire, as you know. (laughs) As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being, indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks and spells, crying what I do is me, for that I came. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks in spells, crying what I do is me, for that I came. So here is a Jesuit priest, an Irish Jesuit priest, writing 200, 150 years ago about an internal event that the people in China recognize, that I recognize, that you recognize, and this common event is this power of the internal, the, the internal power of our internal will and also our internal resource. And isn't it wonderful that we can find a way to bring it into the economy, this awareness. I was so blown away by their interest in this poem and by the beauty with which uh, Stephen Lee on that particular day, I remember it was a ringing moment, translated the poem talked about what it meant to him in Chinese. I only watched his face in the face of others as he did this. It was very, very beautiful. Do not forget that visuality is a business-based paradigm. It builds your business case, but it is also much, much more. I've had a wonderful time talking with you today, and I look forward to talking to you live next week as well. Please keep your emails and your phone calls coming. I love them. Uh, Radio at visualworkplace.com, and I look forward to the next time. Thank you very much for listening. This is Gwendolyn, and I'm signing off.
appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management